Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Today we are continuing our series through Shoestring, um, and today we're going to look at the uh, question of how do we plan ahead to leave room for those in need. Has anyone ever been in need here this morning? So the question is, how do we plan ahead to leave room for those of each other that are in need? Because we're all going to face that time at some point. Basically, what's been happening, we're going to be in Acts 2 today, and we're going to really look at the foundational uh, purpose of the church. And and you'd be hard-pressed to find a a better description of the purpose of, not necessarily the model, but the purpose of the church that Jesus desired to be formed among those who profess faith in him, then Acts 2. And basically what's been happening is the disciples have been a little lost. They've been confused. Uh, they know the message. Peter's been preaching. He's been <clears throat> understanding a little bit more, but but they're told like, wait. I mean, there's this like hurry up and wait game. And they just had three years of seeing pretty miraculous things happen. And now there's about 100, 120 of them. And they're just kind of like, they're sitting around. They're kind of waiting like, well, what does this mean? What does it look like to have the Holy Spirit fall on us? Because Jesus had promised that we're going to receive that. And we're kind of sitting around waiting. And they are, as they're they're waiting and they're figuring things out, uh, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And... Uh, now, don't get nervous if you have a Baptist background, okay? But the Bible teaches that tongues of fire fell on the people. And what was happening is there was, there was now a collection of people from all over speaking different languages, understanding from different backgrounds, all these things that are happening. And here are these, these, these hundred disciples, 120 meeting together. Many of them had witnessed all the miracles. They had seen, they understood the gospel, but Jesus says, there's going to be a falling of the Holy Spirit on you. It's going to empower you and give you courage, give you boldness, give you understanding, and the church will be born. So in Acts 2.41, Luke says, to those who receive his word, uh, which is which is Peter's sermon, uh, and basically all Peter was doing is explaining the life of Christ. He's explaining the gospel in word to these people. He said, to, to those who receive his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. So at the end of the sermon, there's the fastest church growth in all of history. I mean, you want to talk about an altar call, like there is something that happened, something unmistakable that happened undeniable that was happening. That's a lot of folks who are now professing faith in Jesus. So you went from this small group to now this tongues of fire fall from the sky and the spirit fills the people, fills the church, and it begins creating itself as an organism that the people had never known or seen before. So today we're going to be picking up where the spirit begins to move among these converts. And we're going to be in Acts 2, 42 through 47 primarily. Now keep in mind that it is easy to get an organization put together. It takes work, but it's easy. As we talked about first service, like you could offer free beer and you'd have the entire town of Palmer here in no time filling this church. Probably have to expand, you know, extend five, six services. We can, we can create large, large gatherings of people, large crowds. We can do that. We can build this stuff up. But to become an organism takes intentionality between the people. 
It, take, it takes something special to happen between the people, especially how Christ determined and decided that his church would function. And what we see here is that nothing changed other than the Holy Spirit fell. Peter wasn't out creating programs yet. Programs are great. Organizational structures are great, as we see later in the books of Acts. Like, they need to rise. Hey, we got to take care of the widows and the orphans and the poor. Like, we got to organize some stuff here. But it wasn't before the organism of the church was created. And that organism was filled and birthed by the Spirit of God entering the people of God. So in Acts 2, 42, he says, <clears throat> Luke accounts, he says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple or worshiping together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Father, I ask you this morning, Lord, that you would unite the heart of your church, Lord, the heart of your people, God, as you unite our hearts together for the very purpose which you have called us to, Lord, that you would align our hearts with your heart. Father, we ask that you would do this, Lord, that you would reignite the awe in our spirit, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen. Luke says in 42 that they devoted themselves basically to genuine community. This wasn't, <clears throat> this, wasn't uh, 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 this idea of just seeing each other or passing by once in a while, but they devoted themselves. There was, there was a, 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 a high regard for the devotion, especially during that time, probably a lot more than we see these days, but they devoted themselves to one another and devotion was important and and genuine community is what was beginning to take your place take place and, and i want you to try to wrap your head around this because for church on the rock that's the end game it's to love god love one another live with passion purpose and freedom and to do this in the context of genuine community with one another but by very nature, it can't be done in isolation. In fact, Proverbs 18, 1 and 2 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinions. Isolation creates a lack of judgment. It creates this unwillingness to receive and to grow and to contribute. And we all know the name of a person who's maybe been in isolation for too long, right? Family members, friends. <clears throat> you know, we, 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 the, the thing in common that we see is, man, it's almost impossible to even talk to them because there's an unwillingness to have any sense of judgment. And here's the reality. We grow iron sharpening iron. We grow in the context of community and genuine interaction with one another. So this type of genuine community that Luke is describing here, it can't take place in isolation. <clears throat> and what Luke is talking about in this breaking of bread statement is not communion with a cracker, but this is like actual dinner. I mean, this is, he's saying like they're doing dinner together all the time. There's something special about being together and eating a meal together, isn't there? 
I mean, no matter how many times you do it, there, you know, oftentimes in our culture, we get so busy. And so we, we revert to holidays or revert to special occasions. But I know families that get together every Sunday because it's their family day to eat. And those times are always rich. And there's always something about getting together and we, we laugh together, we pray together, we, we talk about life together, we share joys, we share struggles. Like this is where we typically, and at least the, the easiest place to find genuine care for one another is in the context of, of dinner or time intentionally with one another. And every night of the week, they're wanting to get together. But why? I mean, that sounds pretty exhausting, right? Like, <clears throat> but what if we try to build a culture like this? I mean, what if we, what if we did away with our, our current culture of, of distant property lines and no trespassing signs and begin saying, hey, I wonder if there's someone out there that could use some encouragement, that, that could use some, 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 something to eat, that could use a, a prayer, that, 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 that maybe I could, I could speak a word of hope, or maybe I'm in a situation where somebody else has a word, but they see my, they see my no trespassing signs, or they see the way I'm always kind of detached from everyone else, and of course they're not going to come up and share that with me. And it's easy for us to do that. I'm an extrovert, and I still feel the temptation, especially on Sundays. Sunday afternoons to go home and just like fried in bed and, and just napping. And then it's the best naps in the world. But I will tell you, there are times when we push through that, that we have people over on Sundays and as exhausting as it is physically sometimes, never been left without an encouraging dynamic of being with other believers. But it takes intentionality. Meeting the needs of one another according to, to the gifts we have. This kind of community, though, it's unbelievably difficult. And the reason is because we have to risk. We have to risk people knowing us, and maybe that's, maybe that's terrifying. But if you risk it, people are going to know who you really are, <clears throat> and we're actually going to discover that we're all pretty messy. We all have areas to grow in. We all have of words of encouragement. We all have gifts that are, that are needed from each other. I mean, I have literally heard some of the best parenting advice in my life from people that did not have kids. I've heard, I've heard profound words of wisdom from six-year-olds. Like God, God is not subjecting his wisdom and his care for the body to those with more experience or those with their life together. He, he's looking at the organism of what he wants to flex for and say, hey, guys, get together, be in unity, be transformed by the gospel, and I will, I will care for each of you however you need. But he uses the church to do this. The thing about doing life like this is that the, the end result is that if anyone is, need, is in need, it's taken care of. This is the purpose of the church, that we would meet one another's needs according to the gifts that we've been given. If anyone weeps, the whole group weeps with them. If anyone rejoices, the whole group parties. We celebrate. If anyone suffers, the whole group comforts. And, and rally around people. And, and here's the reality. And I say it over and over again, but it's a reality of life that you live long enough, you will bleed. It is the reality of life. And if you haven't yet, wait. 
There will be a time in your life where it sits. You sit as low as you possibly can go and say, man, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I have sat in, in church chairs for years of my life, some of the darkest, loneliest years of my life, on the brink of like complete hopelessness, death, depression, all that stuff. And I have just sat and I've isolated myself. I, I, brought, I, I brought this attitude like, well, what would God want anything to do with me? All these other dynamics. And then someone happened to see where my heart was at because they had a gift of discernment come and spoke a word of hope into my life. That is how God operates. But it doesn't happen by, by, by happenstance. There's incredible value in genuine community, but we have to risk. And we can't make genuine community happen. I mean, we can't just be around other people and hope that it happens, right? We can't show up on Sunday and say, okay, well, I hope, I hope this will just kind of magically happen. I, I think it's great we meet here on Sundays. I, I love meeting together on Sundays, but this is not the end all of what Jesus was talking about when he wants us caring for one another. In fact, I love Sundays because we get to corporately worship Jesus and network with each other. And you know what's awesome about the church? It's a network of people. It's great. It's where we get to begin those relationships. Maybe it's over coffee. Maybe it's maybe it's serving together. Maybe it's just talking afterwards. And all of a sudden you're hearing people that have needs and maybe you have a need and someone else is like, hey, I happen to have this extra thing here. Or, hey, I know how to do this. Someone after last service came up and gave me a solution to fix my Jeep. Awesome. I'm not a mechanic. That was awesome. You know, it's just, it's how the body operates, but we can't assume that it happens without being intentional. We must be intentional. We must look for ways to use what we know or have for the good of others every single day, not just on Sundays. In fact, Jesus says later on in, in Acts 20, he's, he's, Jesus quoted as saying, it's better to give than to receive. That's not hyperbole. Jesus is like, oh no, there's something much better about giving than receiving. What if the drive was never large crowds or events, but transformation? I mean, what if we looked at Sundays as an opportunity to, to, to be a part of God's Spirit, coming in through the work of the gospel, filled with the Spirit to transform lives? I mean, this is what drove these people to be in awe of community together. It's what drove them to work all day in the markets or the fields and come home and open their doors and say, hey, let's keep doing this. Let's keep getting together. Like, there's something going on here. There's the Spirit of God falling on us, and it's not just information but there's transformation happening in the lives of people because of this person named Jesus and now we're going to care for each other because Jesus is caring for us nothing is more motivating than wanting to serve God than remembering the transformation that took place in your own heart and that will motivate you nothing is more motivating to give than to remember how God is always taking care of us Matthew 6 seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be taken care of I mean, dare us to taste and see that God is good in that way. Like, you want to see God? You want to build faith? Walk out those things. Give radically. Serve radically. Open yourself up and be willing to risk. Lean into painful relationships. The church is messy. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to wound each other. But we're going to care for each other. We're going to grow. And Jesus is okay with the mess that we are. Look at what he did through the disciples. They're, they're mess. I mean, these people didn't have 2,000 years of church history to learn from. They're sitting there going, man, what in the world? Can you imagine the sin that was happening still? Like, oh, I can't be doing that. Wow, okay. 
They didn't have the canonization of scripture. They have nothing. They just had to learn how to care for one another and learn more about who this person named Jesus was. And they were experiencing transformation. So you have this initial surge of 3,000 people. And Luke is clear that every single day there are new men and women who are believing and coming to the church and transformation is taking place. Have you ever thought about the logistics? They didn't have a building like this to meet in. They had, a, they had some rooms, maybe some small homes. And they had 120 people. And then all of a sudden this surge of 3,000 people. Because God likes to do big things. And so he's going to do that. And then, and then here's Peter and the, 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 the apostles. And they're going, oh, okay, well, we, this is good. I mean, it's good stuff. Now we got to start caring for these people. So they spend the next two years figuring out how to, how to get care to all these 3,000 people. Except the problem is God also is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. I mean, we're talking a massive movement of God's spirit because the transformation was taking place through the spirit working in the gospel, the people's lives. The gospel should impassion us. I think it's easy for us to forget the power of the gospel in our own lives because we get so distracted. But man, when you think about the transformation of your heart, I was talking to someone after first service and they were asking about my youth and, and I was saying that... Uh, when I was in youth group, my youth pastor was not betting on me walking with the Lord ever. I can promise you that. And I, I mean, it was, it, was, it was bad. And I look back at my life and go, man, I, I, I don't even remember that person very much. I don't remember. It's like when you, when you recommend movies you haven't seen in years. And then someone's like, oh, you, I watched that. You, you told me to... You're like, oh my goodness, God has transformed my heart. I would never be okay with that. You know, that's the transformation that takes place in our lives. It's over time and it's, it's through the church operating and saying, hey, maybe this humor is not that great. Or maybe, maybe there's a better way to go about this. Or maybe, maybe this is what you need to prioritize. All these things, it's the church operating because of the transformation that takes place through the gospel of Jesus. But can you imagine preparing all that food? I mean, I'm trying to get my head around, like, caring for people, knowing what I know about the first century, like, no commercial kitchens, no big buildings, no prepackaged foods, no appliances. Like, there were people that were truly devoted to the care of one another, not just at their convenience, because it certainly was not convenient for them at all. But this shows us that there is something that goes beyond convenience, that when transformation happens in our own hearts... It's like we throw all that to the side and say, no, we're going to be devoted to one another. And we're going to go above and beyond what we would have before. Unfortunately, today, and I even think not too long after the birth of, of the church here in this event, that um, it was possible to come and just kind of sit and be a part without ever really being a part of this organism we call the church. In fact, Paul would warn in Thessalonians said, man, there are some of you that are idle. Some of you that just are, aren't doing much. And it wasn't meant to be a, a, a guilt driven. We're never meant to serve out of guilt, but it's meant to say, hey, you're redeemed by the Lord. Like there's a community of people out there that don't get to experience transformation, that don't have this joy, have this rest in the midst of trial. Like, man, this is, this is what our lives should be directed to. This is what we should be given to in our lives. When we remember the power of the gospel in our own lives, it motivates us and drives us in ways we never imagined. 
looking at this story, I don't know how anyone can be fringe. Come and just sit and be a part. Looking at what was happening at this time, everyone needed to contribute. But everyone was experiencing transformation. Everyone was getting to understand their, their purpose in life. They were getting to see peace. They were getting to see value. They were getting to see their identity as sons and not slaves. And keep in mind, like these are a group of people who are under the oppression of Rome. They are, some of them abusers, some of them divorcees, some of them uh, uh, greedy, some of them idolizers. I mean, these are like a group of messy people, outcasts, all this stuff. Jesus brings them together and through the power of the Holy Spirit transforms their hearts and the Spirit is, is given on them and now they have purpose. They understand their, their meaning in life. They understand what they're getting together for. They understand the purpose of the gospel and in that transformation that they were experiencing, they begin to say, I can only help but be generous. I have more, than, more of God than I need and there are those without and so a community is born. Genuine community is born. Can you imagine the worship that was taking place? Like all the different preferences of worship in, in, the, in the midst of, of 3,000 people from different languages, different backgrounds. Can you imagine what their worship was like? I mean, that's pretty cool. Imagine all the different teachings. Now they're in their minds going, man, I've always believed this, but now this gospel thing, this is actually making more sense than what I was taught growing up. And all this stuff, like, it's a messy dynamic. It's not meant to be perfect. It's meant to be spirit-filled and spirit-led. You got all kinds of gifts being put to use during this time. You got people who have words of knowledge and they're speaking them out. You have another person with, with a tongue, with, a, with a, a message, and you have somebody else interpreting that tongue. You have someone with a vision. You have, uh, uh, you, you know, you have someone that has a dream. In the middle of that, you have someone who thinks they have a dream, a vision, words of wisdom, a tongue, and they don't have anything. And then you have people discerning that that man has nothing. And so, you know, it's, it's like this whole messy thing happening and God's providing and, and discerning and giving what the church needs to grow and flourish within the constructs of how Jesus designed it to be. And look, if you have gifts of tongues and discernment, all that stuff, it, it's welcome here. We're not cessationalists here whatsoever. Like we believe in the gifts of the spirit working and moving. And I think in those gifts, exercise and humility, you're always going to find a warm home here at Church on the Rock. I can promise you that. But it's meant to be for the good of the body. All of our gifts are meant to be for the good of our body. The, the, the gift of generosity is meant to be good, uh, meant to be used for the good of the body. The gift of our wisdom is meant to be used for the good of the body of Christ, even though they're given individually. If you look at the rest of, of Acts, you, you, see, you see what happens. The gospel keeps hitting people in their everyday life. There are businessmen who end up getting saved and they have tons of land and they just end up selling their lands, and lands all of their lands, and giving to the, the work of the kingdom. You have uh, Lydia in, in Philippi, who's this, this seller of purple goods, very lucrative business then. 
and she understands God, but she doesn't understand the gospel and the spirit fills her. She understands the gospel and bam, now she's like, hey, come to my home. I'm going to open up my home for the gospel work. Church is planted, all that kind of stuff. We have jailers getting saved. We have people in Caesar's household getting saved because of this movement starting. The people are so transformed. They're experiencing genuine transformation, not manufactured emotion, not manufactured belief, but spiritual deep transformation that only the work of God can do. And it is what drives people to give. It's what drives people to serve. It's what drives people to step out of their comfort zone. In fact, it's what drives people to forgive each other. It's Christ's love that compels us. And every time the gospel hits one of these people, it just keeps transforming and moving and transforming. And what you notice in scripture is that nobody seems to get rocked by the gospel and just stay where they are. Like when transformation genuinely happens, I'm not talking about the transferring of information as though you read the gospel. I'm talking about when the spirit makes the gospel make sense to your heart and you're like, oh my goodness, like I'm saved. I am a wretched man. God loved me enough while I was a sinner. Like, oh, now I understand. I really did not honor God and he loved me anyway and he still is for me. And how many of us take a really long time to learn stuff and we look back and say, God, thank you for your patience with me. Thank you that you're not giving up on me. Thank you that, that over all the messes I've made, over all the, the times I don't deserve mercy, your mercy is new each day for me. Thank you for that, because that is the gospel of Jesus in our lives. And if we want that, desire that for ourselves, then let us desire it for one another. Let us desire it for the communities we live in. For those with different political views than we have. See, the selfish become generous when the gospel transforms. The bitter become gracious. The prideful walk in humility. The strong live in meekness. And it's all done by the power of the Spirit who is given to us, the church. See, the Spirit working in the midst of the gospel is, by nature, transformational. The Spirit working in the midst of the gospel is, by very nature, transformational, not informational. See, some people, the gospel transforms their heart and they start cooking dinners for people. Some people, the gospel penetrates their heart and they want to teach it so badly, it's like, fire in their bones, man. They're just like, man, people got to know this. They feel overwhelmed by it. For others, they say, man, I got to get out of Jerusalem. I'm going to Philippi. I'm going to Corinth. I'm going to Ephesus. I'm going to Peru. I'm going to Thailand. Like I'm going out to the villages because we see this transformation happening. And all of a sudden it's the very generosity of the Lord that says, hey, go give this like you've been given freely. We've been given and freely we give. And some people, that's what God calls them to do. Their bones are just burning within them to expand what they get to experience here in their local community. Other people, God's trans gospel transforms their heart and they just start being able to pray. And I mean pray. Like, you know, those prayer words. We're like, man, I'm going to go to this person when I know I know I need prayer because God like moves in their prayers. They know, they know how to pray in faith. They know how to, they're, they're righteous, man. And God, the, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and fervent. Like, man, these people, they get transformed and boom, they're prayer warriors. Some people, the gospel penetrates their heart and they start writing music and singing. And it's beautiful. It's, it's incredible. Some people, the gospel penetrates their heart and they start building things for people. Start building houses, building, building walls, building benches, 
building ministries. See, everybody has a different skill set and resource. And when the gospel transforms a heart, we usually don't deviate from the gifts that we've actually already been given. Does that make sense? Like, like we're already operating in some of these gifts. It, it, it's like all of a sudden there's power in the gifts we've already possessed. And now it just makes sense as if our gifting got freed up to glorify God and not be used for selfish desires anymore. So now, now as generous people, we recognize what God has been gifting us with, what God has been doing in our lives. And we say, man, I can't help but give away. I can't help but give away. And it's, it's not often that we gain new gifts. It's that God has already designed us to be worshipers of him, to be followers of him. And when we operate in that function, then all of a sudden it just makes sense. It's like there's an alignment with our faith, our belief, and our desires now. I mean, you look at the Apostle Paul. Paul didn't come become passionate on the road to Damascus. Like, he didn't get knocked off his horse and be like, oh, man, now I'm pretty passionate. Like, no, he was murdering, uh, beating, imprisoning, uh, 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 persecuting Christians because he was so passionate about God. Like, let that sink in. Paul was so passionate about God that he was out persecuting Christians, and yet... God said, well, that's just misdirected passion. And what did that passion lead him to do? Endure immense suffering. Bring the gospel to all different places. Endure anything. Teach him that it doesn't matter if I'm rich, poor, well-fed, or hungry. I am content. Oh, you want to imprison me? That's fine. I'll convert your guards. Torture me. It doesn't matter. I can't wait to get to heaven. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I mean, like, this is the kind of transformation that takes place in Paul. And the spirit just keeps moving and moving and moving through the gospel. And you and I, we get caught up in this thing too. It's not just for the, these guys that look like they're cut from a different cloth. Every one of us who's putting our faith in Christ, he is gifting us for the good of the body and for his glory. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says in verse 4, he says, Now there are various uh, varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So when the gospel penetrates our hearts, transformation takes place, and the Holy Spirit gives us now the ability to use it for the good of others. And there's a variety of all this stuff. Continuing on in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. Not apportions to some, apportions gives to each one according to what God wills, what he desires. Now what Paul's explaining is that each of these gifts are given individually before the common good. And there's a variety of these gifts. And this isn't even the extent of all the gifts that are mentioned. This is just a few of them. But they're, they're given individually for the common good, the building up of the body, which means not all of us are going to go overseas and be missionaries. Some of us will. Not all of us are going to devour books and recommend others to read them. 
Some of us are going to pray for hours and pray with power for hours. And it's going to seem like a minute. And those of us are like, man, that was only five minutes. Goodness. Not all of us are going to be prayer warriors like Kathy. Some of us are going to love studying and exegeting biblical texts. We're going to get all nerdy, break down word for word, and we're going to love it. I mean, we're going to learn the Greek and it's going to be fun. And others are going to be so bored out of their mind at the thought of that, that it, it, it's torment just to think about it. Some of us, we're going to love systematic theology. Some of us aren't. Some of us are going to go love working with numbers and budgets and accounting. Thank God for you. But not all of us are going to love that. But it's needed. All these things are needed to function to serve one another in the body. Some of us are going to give crazy amounts of money away because we're gifted by God to do that. But not all of us will. Some of us are going to love acts of service. We're going to love going down and feeding the homeless. We're going to walk into a room and immediately see everything that needs to be done because we have a gift of service. Our hearts are always looking at, man, what can I do? What, how can I help? What can I do? And others of us, we look in and we say, hey, who can I connect with? <laughs> right? It's like, it's just different gifts operating for different purposes. And here's the deal. God masterfully designs it in each one of us. In fact, if you don't believe that, go to Ephesians uh, 2, uh, 2.13. He says that you are a masterpiece created by God before the foundations of the world to do what he set out for you to do. That, that you are not unworthy of gifts. He has created you to worship him, to follow him, and he's created, he's laid out the good works for you to already do on this earth. And the beautiful thing about that is over in Philippians 2, he says that it's his spirit to will and to work in you, to accomplish those things. We just need to be willing to care for one another, to love God with all of our hearts, to pursue him, and to genuinely care for one another, which means we're going to look for opportunities to meet the needs of each other. Just because we don't have a gift of service or just because we don't have a lot of money or just because we don't love systematic theology or all these other things doesn't mean we don't meet needs when we see them though. Because here's what, here's what is said in 1 John 3.17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Well, you might think, well, gosh, I just don't have anything to give. I beg to differ. I'd argue with you all day long over that. You have something because God's doing something in your life. If you've experienced transformation, God's spirit is working in you. And God's spirit is going to use you no matter your background, no matter how broken it might be or successful it might be. God will use you to speak encouragement, to, to be the strength for somebody else, to be a, a, a vessel of provision for somebody else. God will do that. The question is, are we willing? Are we easy, too easily satisfied with being here on Sundays, with not connecting? I, I have a confession to make. I watch Chris and Lori and the way they interact with people in the foyer, and it humbles me every time I'm here visiting you guys. I'm a, high, I'm, a, I'm a pretty high extrovert, not so much the older I get, but my wife is a high introvert, and I see her every single Sunday targeting people she doesn't know, and I'm like, oh man, where are my buddies at? I just want to talk to them. I don't want to meet people. And I see her like 
just caring because someone's new to church and we all remember that time, right? Like, man, I don't remember anything. My wife and I attended a church for a while on Sunday nights and we would leave right after. Boom, 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 boom. And finally someone chased us out. The worship leader chased us out. He's like, hey, wait, guys. And boom, it was the first ministry I ever served in. Led, led to that. I mean, just incredible ways that we can encourage and be available for one another. We all have something to give. And it's so important that we get that because I think many of us are feeling guilty because we don't know how to operate in what we've been given or who we're meant to be. But we do. Every one of us has something for somebody else here today. You can rest assured, whether you realize it or not, you can rest assured that God has gifted you in your own way for his pleasure, for your purpose, for the good of his kingdom. There's a variety of gifts and skills, but they're all given for the building up of the body. The same spirit that calls Chris to teach is the same spirit that moves one family to the other side of the planet. It's the same spirit that's moving in someone to, to contribute to the needs of others. The same, the same spirit that's in, uh, igniting creativity in people. It's the same spirit moving and working and it all stems from the transformation of the gospel in our own lives. Talked about Kathy earlier, just a prayer warrior. Man, you know, the Gonzalez family, incredibly gifted. Aaron, watching him grow in his gifts over the last couple of years has just been absolutely incredible to watch. Rusty with discernment, knowing and, and seeing and, and being tenderhearted with people and understanding how to navigate do, through different situations. Daniel Eccles over at Band of Brothers, I'm telling you, I don't know if anyone has a better memory for names than Daniel Eccles over at Band of Brothers. I walk in and that guy like name after name after name after name. That's the spirit of God saying, hey, Daniel, I'm going to give you opportunity to make people feel loved when they walk in here. We all have those different gifts. So don't be discouraged because you don't have a particular gift. If there was a gift I wish God would have given me, it'd be to like songwrite and play music and sing. Don't want that. You don't want me any further back on this stage than right here. And barely right here. But I'm just saying, like, if there was, that'd be awesome. But you know what he did? And that is okay. Because he gifted some others to lead me in worship. And I love worshiping. I love singing. And I do it from here. And he's gifted people to make it sound like a joyful noise so that everyone can participate. He's given people really tough lives so they can discern and comfort others in the same seasons of life. God is masterfully creating his, his church. Jesus says in John 13, 34, he says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. See, John is the only, the only gospel that actually puts this, this phrase like that. The other gospels say, you know, you've heard it was said, uh, uh, or, or, or uh, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And Jesus says, here, I'm giving you a new commandment to love others as I have loved you. See, it's easy to love others in the same way we feel like we're loved, right? Like, well, no one's loving me. I'm just going to bounce out. But when Jesus comes in and says, actually, love others as I have loved you. Now all of a sudden we got to stop and think, well, gosh, how does God love me? Well, he's impatient. He's, he's selfish. He's, he's easily offended. No, not at all. In fact, Jesus gave up to his life not getting anything in return. What were we to give him in return? 
What could anyone give him in return? And this is the beauty of Jesus' statement here is either he's using hyperbole, which again, he doesn't do, or there's a way to live life where we could say, hey, in every relationship, in every dynamic, in every neighborhood, in every church service, there is an opportunity for me to give and not need anything in return. Why? And why did Jesus not take? Because his father fulfilled everything for him. He did not need anything for man because God, his father was giving him everything he needed. He, he was the son of God. We are adopted sons and daughters of God. Under all the lavish grace that, that was poured out, all the inheritance of Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. What do we actually need that God can't supply for us? So can we sacrificially give? Can we sacrificially serve? Can we love the unlovable? Those who don't love us back? Because we are all, we have all been those people that have not loved back. And we've all tried to love people that don't love us back. And it's extremely difficult. So we have two options to continue engaging in this community or to isolate ourselves and break out against all sound judgment. I'll have the worship team come up. What if we approached one another? looking for every opportunity to meet needs. Here's the kicker with that though. Until you are confident that you are well loved, perfectly loved by God, given everything you need in provision for the good work that he set out before us to do, that in reality, we will lack nothing that God has provided for us. Until we're comfortable with that, until we understand that that's what the gospel means for us positionally, that we are no longer slaves, we are no longer orphans, we are sons, we are daughters, we are friends of God. And all the resources that God has, he gives to us. So let us give because we have been given much. So how do we plan ahead to leave room for those in need? Well, we have to walk in wisdom. That wisdom is given by the Spirit of God. James says he gives without reproach. We just need to ask. Looking for opportunity. Trusting in the provision of God. And engaging in genuine care for one another. Jesus says you'll always have the poor with you. Our job is to not meet every single need out there. Our job is to be led by the Spirit have ears that listen to the Spirit's leading. Say, man, I don't feel like I have the extra money to give right now, but I'll tell you what. God has asked my wife and I to do some things in our past that would, that still is like, Josh, are you an idiot? But God has never left us without what's needed. And now we almost kind of thrive on that type of opportunity. Like, like God, where can we give more of our time. God, where can we give more of our money that it, it doesn't, it's like, it's like, it's just, it's a pursuit of freedom for us. It's not about the, the amount of money we give. It's not about the items that we give or how much time we're giving. It's about meeting and saying, God, today I have people that I'm meeting with here on Sunday morning. Tomorrow when I wake up, I have guys that I meet with at, at work or, or my family when I get home. And what are their needs? What can I be used by your glory? Because you have given me so much, Lord. Encourage my heart, God, that I would encourage others. Give me wisdom that I would know how to help others.
how to be available for others. And here's the beautiful result of a group of people caring for one another. You ready? And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number and he will add to our number day by day those that are being saved. This is the foundation, the purpose of the church. It will never look like it did in the first century again. We don't live in those times. But what we can do is take every opportunity we can to care for one another as the gospel has transformed our lives. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Use whatever gifts you have to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Each one of us here has something to contribute. And God doesn't want us contributing, not, not understanding how much we're already being given by him. Because Jesus says, give according to the joy in your heart. And when we lose focus of the gospel transformation in our life, so goes the joy. So maybe our foundational problem is not so much not having the resources. Maybe it's we forgot what we've been saved from. Maybe it's that we forgot the kind of transformation God brought into our lives and the way that God used the generosity of others to transform our lives. Would you stand with me as we sing? Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.